0: Tester chapter 8, we turn this morning to pick up where we left off last time. This is at page 414 in your pew Bible, if that's helpful for you. Wicked Haman is now dead, hoist on his own gallows, with apologies to Hamlet for borrowing and adjusting, stealing his line, hoist on his own petard. Haman's own wicked plot to Queen Esther, to kill Queen Esther's uncle Mordecai, having been turned back against him on his own head. Uh, it has reminded us, hasn't it, all of it, of the proverb? Proverbs 26 27 to be exact that says, Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. Moses seek to entrap other people in their wicked schemes and plans find themselves caught in their own snares and eventually the evil plans of all the wicked who have set themselves against the church of Jesus Christ against her Lord by harassing his people will find their wicked schemes and plots and actions coming back around against them. And ultimately, in its ultimacy, you will see this. We will see it. Together, we will witness this personally in living color ourselves one day. But Haman's plot was not merely uh, against the uh, individual who is Mordecai, was it? Nor nor, uh, against Queen Esther alone, whose life is on the line in Haman's wicked plot. No, it is to exterminate all of the Jews in a great empire-wide pogrom to, quote, destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, end quote. Now, it's safe to say at this point, as you, as you know, Mordecai is safe, uh, and he's been spared the gallows. And Queen Esther, the, queen, the king's prized wife, uh, is safely under the king's protection. But when we left off last time, there was still a gigantic problem that still exists, doesn't it? A great dilemma as we open on chapter 8. It's now later in the same day that Haman has been exposed and killed. But as the afternoon wears on... Nothing has been done to reverse the cursed decree of death upon the Jews from one end of the empire to the other. It remains firmly on the schedule by royal edict for the 13th day of the 12th month and for the plundering of all the Jews' goods. So we return to continue on uh, in a very full day uh, from the last chapter, beginning in chapter 8, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for teaching us through many, many different ways. We love the epistles, and we love those propositional truths that you present to us in, in that way. Uh, we also love the ap- apocalyptic literature, Father, and the way that you teach us in those marvelous images and enthralling but we thank you as well that you're pleased to teach us in history that you have preserved for us in fact that you have sovereignly directed for our good that here too we may learn of the goodness and the faithfulness of our God speak Lord we humbly ask for your servants are gladly listening in Jesus name amen Esther 8 beginning at verse 1 on that day Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told him what he was uh, to her, and uh, the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai, and Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept, and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king, and she said, if it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and If the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? And King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring, for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan on the 23rd day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language. And also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods on one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. A copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers, mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. There was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday, and many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Sometimes parcel post or even first class uh, mail service will just uh, simply not do, you know, Uh, when you you want the confidence that what you're sending will make it to its destination and make it on time as fast as possible, you're willing to part with those few extra bucks at the counter at the post office to know that your parcel will absolutely positively arrive and arrive on time. Well, apparently Mordecai had some sense, uh, some of that sense of urgency, didn't he, about getting this royal edict Everywhere it needed to go, to the satraps, to the governors, to the officials, to all the provinces, all 127 provinces, post-haste. While Haman's earlier anti-Semitic edict, the edict of death, had gone out by courier, Mordecai's was sent, verse 10, by mounted couriers, riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service. And none but the ones that had been bred from the royal stud would do. And while Haman's early order of death for the Jews had been issued in the languages of every province and people, Mordecai's was all of that, plus, specifically verse 9, also to the Jews in their script, in their language, and, verse 13, to be publicly displayed. To all peoples. Now this, this, this mirrored language in the text, but magnified, serves to underscore the point, doesn't it, that this was an absolute, complete reversal of the events and more. Everything Haman had done uh, t- w- was not only... Uh, did not only come undone, but the very opposite was scheduled to take place on that very same day, the the 13th day of the 12th month, uh, the month of Adar. On that day, the Jews in every city were to gather together and to defend their lives. That seems like a small detail to us, but but only because we have lived where we have in the nation where we do, enjoying the freedoms and protections that we do. Freedom peaceably to assemble is something that that several men in this room right now have sworn on oath to protect with their very lives. It's codified in the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, it is a right that has been largely denied to citizens throughout history, and specifically, we might point out, to those of Jewish ethnicity. You think of the long and constantly growing list of uh, lists of laws codified in the law code of Hitler's Third Reich against the Jewish people, or in Russia where Jews were slain. Uh, also by the millions and their goods plundered. Now under the new order of uh, Mordecai, the king's order really under Mordecai's pen and ring, the Jews were no longer to be isolated from each other in their individual homes and therefore vulnerable to attack by their neighbors. It was truly a freedom of peaceable assembly, by the way. Don't mistake what the Scripture is saying here. The Jews had freedom of peaceable assembly. It was not a right to kill indiscriminately, nor even to launch an offensive. But it was the right given in tandem with another right that we've come to take very much for granted, codified not only in our national law, but in biblical law, the right of self-defense. It was God in Scripture that gave to us our right to defend our own lives, even at the cost of others' lives, at the, the life of our attacker or the attacker of our family members or our neighbor's. So with the Jews this day in Persia, it came by royal edict. They could not just kill people uh, because of the way they looked or because they acted suspiciously or because they launched an insult at them or because of the way they, they acted around them because they carried a backpack or you know whatever it was. No, verse 11, it was only in the case of those who attacked them that the Jews were allowed to retaliate, to defend themselves. And did you notice how carefully and skillfully our writer demonstrates this complete reversal? And also perfectly just reversal by repeating the exact language from the earlier decree, virtually line by line, just turned in the opposite direction. The Jews gathered to defend their own lives were granted the authority, and I quote, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods, end quote. So what happened on the individual level with with Mordecai and Haman did you notice in the reading that Mordecai has now moved into Haman's house taken over the household by the the end of the day (laughs) is to happen corporately now to any and every assailant of God's people even to the point that what is thine shall become mine. It was a total reversal and we could use this word accurately. We could say that it was, in a word, salvation. It was salvation. Salvation can mean deliverance from the power and effects of sin, yes. And it can also mean salvation, uh, deliverance from destruction. Salvation had come to the Jews and it had come to them by the same hand by which salvation has come to you. And to me, same God, same source, by the hand of the capital D Deliverer, God Himself. But God was pleased to accomplish that salvation, wasn't He, in the most curious of ways. Isn't it, hasn't it been curious? Through one woman, through one woman by whose actions He saved not only the Jews at that time, but also preserved the line through which would come your Savior and mine, Jesus Christ, who on one very memorable occasion had publicly ascribed to him the title King of the Jews. look at her with me and notice just how it is that, that she's accomplished this salvation. It was, we could say, salvation by identification. She identified herself with her people so closely, so intimately, that their cause was her cause. Their lives were her life in the sense that As her fortune went, so their fortune went. Complete identification with them. Verse 3, then Esther spoke again to the king. Now, wait a minute here. This this again, by the way, let me point out to you, this this again is not referring to the conversation that has taken place earlier that day. This again is referring all the way back to chapter 5, the first time that Esther appeared before the king in his courtroom, uh, as I say, back in chapter 5, and, and, and that at risk to her own life. Now she's doing it again. I mean, she is, this is the second time, she is putting her life on the line for the reasons we studied earlier, and, and she, she's, she's, she's showing up in court. But, but this time she comes, she comes falling at the king's feet. She's weeping. She's pleading with the king in this case, pleading with him to avert the evil plan that Haman has put in place that is now in motion against the Jews, against her people. Will she live through this scenario again? How many times can she do this? And live. Ah, yes, happy, you know the answer. Happily, the, the king extends the scepter to her again. She makes her plea so wisely, so well. 4 verse 6 How can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Did you notice the possessive pronoun? My people. My kindred. This is Queen Esther we're talking about. You know, she is safe. (laughs) She's completely safe at this point. She may live on in comfort and security after the day's events that have already taken place. If she so chooses, she may coast the rest of the way. But it's not enough. She is not satisfied only to enjoy her privileges and her safety and her rights. No, she's so completely identifies with her people that she lays down her very life for their salvation, for her people. But did you notice, did you notice that the request she makes is for the impossible? She has come asking the impossible. You know, even as you hear her asking in verse 5, that that this averting the evil plan against the Jews is an impossibility. And you know the reason, don't you? You know the reason behind the, the saying that we still sometimes use even to this day, that such and so is written in the law of the Medes and the Persians, right? You know that saying? What we mean by that is there ain't no way to change this. It's written in stone. There's no reversing it. A Persian royal decree cannot be reversed. The king himself made that point. In today's text, even the king of Persia cannot contradict himself. So she's asking the impossible. Ah, but there is another way. Another decree can't negate the former but it can present the solution to the former decree. It can provide a solution to an impossible situation. Maybe you're already way ahead of me. We're in an impossible situation. You and I are in an impossible situation. The wrath of God is set against us for our sin. The just decree against you and me is fixed. It is forever fixed. To go to God and say, oh God, uh, would you please just avert your wrath? Would you just kind of Put your justice on hold, your decree. Could you just kind of retract that? It's asking God to do the impossible. God can do anything. Of course he can. But with full reverence, I tell you now, God cannot contradict himself. He cannot contradict himself. And so we were in a possible situation. How could we possibly be saved from it? Well, on this last Sunday, uh, before the season of Advent, we could not have come, I think to a better more fitting text than this one. The salvation of the Jews on this mind sends on this occasion sends our minds of course it does instantly to our own salvation. How have you and I been saved? It was an impossible situation. We were damned. A decree of death was writ in divine letters against us and there was no escaping it. None. None. that is but this. That God himself, God the Son, should I come and identify Himself so fully with us as to make us, you and me, His kindred, His people? And that's exactly what He did. On the day He was born in Bethlehem, that we celebrate this season. Though He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself, making himself uh, take, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He identified himself so fully with you and with me, that God God became one of us taking on human flesh. That's so what we celebrate this Christmas. And, and then he, he went on to lay down his life before the throne of God. He didn't just go like Esther, risking his life. He humbled himself, becoming, having been found in human form, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He didn't just risk death, he surrendered himself to it. Now, none of that, by the way, seemed even remotely possible, not to human mind, certainly, on the day that the angel appeared to Mary to tell her the plan. That she, a virgin, would bear the Son of God. How can this be? She asked, you remember the angel's answer? Ah, what a wonderful answer, a line to be written above every day of our lives, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. We were impossibly doomed to death, but a total reversal has taken place, hasn't it? Because Christ himself has come, more than that he has come, and he has taken the decree of death against us on himself in our place. And then he rose triumphant from that grave, triumphant over death, and all that he accomplished in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, you have accomplished. You have accomplished through him. Through him you have accomplished. Died Through him you have risen. Through him you have ascended and are seated with him at the right hand of the Father. All because he came and made you his kindred. We've been saved through faith in the one who, like Esther, surrendered his own rights. Was not satisfied to enjoy his own rightful privileges of heaven and the glories and the splendors and all that belonged to him in heaven. If his people remained excluded. If they remained doomed to die. Now, not only that, but he, comes, he continues to identify himself, doesn't he, with us. To this day he does this. You know that he pleads for you in glory. He pleads your, your cause before the Father in heaven. Even now, to this very day. He who said to the Father as a word, do not let them die, I will die in their place, continues in heaven now bearing five wounds. As Wesley so brilliantly expresses it in verse, five wounds received at Calvary, at poor effectual prayers that strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Forgive her. Oh, forgive, they cry, nor let that ransomed sinner die. This has been our great reversal. Rejoice, brothers and sisters. The Jews certainly did at their salvation. In fact, in their light and their gladness and joy, they actually established a holiday. We rejoice in our light and gladness and joy with an established holiday. I hope to return to that point again soon. So Christ identified himself with us. In Esther we see that, but our salvation goes beyond Jesus identifying with us. It goes beyond Jesus identifying with us. Mordecai, look at Mordecai here. He too has undergone a complete reversal, hasn't he? (laughs) From sackcloth to royal robes. From ashes on his head to a crown. From a torn garment to a purple robe. From bitter mourning to sweet rejoicing. Mordecai is now dressed as a king. He is identified. Look at him. Mordecai from head to toe, from... From crown to, to his feet, he's, he's identified with the king. Christ has identified himself with us, but now, if you have faith to believe this, you are identified with the king. You are identified with Christ. May I remind you, dear ones, as I often do, I count this among the most important parts of my job, reminding you who you are. You are kings and queens in the kingdom of God. Will you please let that sink in? You are a queen, you are a king in the kingdom of God. Would that you could see it, would that you could see yourself today through the eyes of God, bedecked in the royal righteous robes of Christ, in a single word, glorified, Yes, I said it, and I said it in the past tense, and I don't regret it, because I said it on the authority of Scripture itself. Remember, Paul uses the past tense to describe you in that golden chain in Romans. You are predestined. You are called. You are justified. You are glorified past tense it's as good as done for you as it was for Mordecai that day now the decree had not been fully executed of course in persia that would come months down the road but but for mordecai it was as good as done the decree once issued was a fate accompli Issuing the decree was as much as completing it. And the completion of your salvation, dear ones, though it may not yet be fully executed in its fullness, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. It is nevertheless a fate accompli. On that day to come, the reversal will be complete, just as it was for these, our fathers and mothers in the faith in Persia. It is as good as done, and everything sad and everything bad will come untrue. Now, Those words are ringing in some of your ears because I know we have some Tolkien fans here in the group today, so you know exactly where I am going. Remember how at the end of the Lord of the Rings, remember how Sam, one of the central characters and one of the most endearing, uh, perhaps, awakens to find friends whom he had thought dead, alive, and, and all around him. Gandalf. He says, I thought you were dead. But then again, I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? Gandalf answers, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. Dear Flock, Tolkien didn't invent this. He was only repeating the Bible's own truth. Everything bad and everything sad is going to come untrue for you and for me and for all who are in Christ. The long-expected Jesus has come. Come on earth to taste our sadness. From our sins and fears, release us and raise us to his glorious throne.